Hello, Faculty Factory listeners, and welcome back to the show. Today, we're talking managing difficult conversations. If you have any feedback, if you like this, you don't like it, please let us know by emailing facultyfactorykim at gmail.com. You can also send us a message in the facultyfactory.org inbox. We wish you and yours a really happy and healthy holiday season, and we'll be back in 2023 with brand new episodes, so please stay tuned for season five of the Faculty Factory podcast appearing in order. On today's episode, it's Dr. Charles Charlie Irvin, Dr. Dave Usum, and Dr. Jennifer Haythorn-Thwaite. you're going to love this one. Conduct timely, accurate, and honest evaluation. Now, this is an LCME requirement, right? You've got to review every faculty every year. But how many times have you run into a problematic faculty? You say, let's pull the records on this person and see if this has been going on. And A, you're going to find, no, hmm, we don't seem to have an evaluation. Why? Guys of pain and you don't like doing it, so it doesn't get done, or B, it happens, and you don't want to have a, a dust-up with them, so you do a whitewash job. Right, and then there's no there's no trail or history of this behavior. No. So even then when it gets ugly, there's no pattern, and there's no evidence, and the, nope. especially they'll go back and say, well, look at my past annual reviews have been great. My RVUs are yeah. this, my productivity is that, and now all of a sudden this, now you're in a real pickle. Right, and then what does HR say to you? You're out of luck. <laughs> no, you got to start from scratch. Right, yeah, exactly. And that's going to take six, you know, six months a year. At least, right. Now, you want to get rid of the person today, but they're not going to let you go. you got to go through this because if that person comes back to the institution with a lawyer, that's right. they're going to pull out all these marvelous Glowing past evaluations. Reviews. That's right. And how's that going to play in, in the courts? Yeah, not well. Yeah, so, not well. So... You have to do the evaluation. I hate them. I hate doing them. I hate being the subject of them, but you got to do them. And you got to be very, you got to be honest about them. And that is hard to do. Yeah. That's a very hard thing to do. Now, the last tip I have, and this is actually an interesting one because this is the one that uh, one of our lawyers pointed out to me. This is the one he likes the best. And that is doing nothing is not an option. You mean avoidance isn't a good um, choice there? No. Oh. Kim, Kim, Kim. No, 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 no. I'm, no, I'm no. really good at conflict avoidance, though. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> that, <laughs> that actually doesn't work very well. Yeah, tell me. And it doesn't work for, you know, but that is the most common approach that I've seen yeah. of, of people in leadership. They're just going to put it under the rug and avoid it because, well, it makes life simple. I just ignore it. And what they say, you know, or the, or the being more kind to, to leadership, I'll, they'll say, well, I'm sure they're really a good person and they're just going through a bad stretch. And so, you know, it'll get better. Yeah. Some miraculous thing. We go to school in undergraduate and I went to a, a liberal arts school in the Midwest, and you got to take certain kinds of courses. And I, I decided to minor in psychology, so I had to take two. I took two courses that have served me well as a as a associate dean of faculty affairs. And the first of this is abnormal psych. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I you know schizophrenia, that sort 
the thing. Oh, now I know I can recognize it, right? So then the second one, which is actually now, now, now I'm being truthful, and that is child development. Yeah. Yeah. So the thing you get out of that is that most people's personalities are pretty set by the late teens. We can argue about when that actually happens, but by the time we get them, uh, they're past uh, a point where you can really make major modifications in their behavior. Sometimes you, they can have an epiphany and really change, but my experience is, that, I don't know what yours is, but it's not very often. Yeah. That past performance predicts future outcomes and that you're not going to be able to modify uh, their behavior very much. Or, and, and you can't expect that they're going to change it a whole lot. There are always exceptions to that, but, but by and large, that's true. And so then you got to say, okay, this was a bad hire. This isn't working out. And now what, now what do you do? So then you, well, maybe it'll go away, da-da-da-da. And then fast forward six months later, something else happens. So then, you know, and then you start the process. And I don't, how many people have you fired? No, I've never personally fired anybody. I'm not in that position, thank, thank goodness. Uh-huh. But uh, no, we've had, we've had uh, dozens over my career. Dozens. Sure, doesn't. Yeah, so, and... and and what is the one thing that people say about a week later? They say, God, I wish we'd done that. Then, six oh, months oh ago. yeah, of course. It's like, oh, it's about time. And I can't believe yeah. you didn't do that. Or so, so I fired a fair number of people over the years. And every time I've done it, I go, geez, why didn't I start this a year ago or half a year ago? Yeah. And, and so eventually I got to the point where I don't, you know, I, I, it's not three strikes and you're out. The first strike, you, the first strike, you go to coffee and say, okay, what, you know, I'm really concerned. What's going on here? And if this isn't, and then you end the conversation, doesn't get better. We're going to have to take it up a notch. And that's already at the, I think almost the second step. And then you start to go to, you get to, with HR and you start all the written stuff and you move really rapidly right. and you let them know that you're really serious. Now, half the time they'll jump and leave anyway, but the other half the time you got to f- kind of finish it up. The other thing that I've done with, with counseling of junior faculty is that if you are someone who overwhelmingly is an avoider of conflict, um, you, you have to recognize that that might be to your disadvantage if you're placed into a leadership position. Mm. So, for example, if there are issues in the you know, Office of Faculty Development that need to be addressed with the, you know, the, the full dean, do you want someone who's an avoider of conflict to be the person who's advocating for you? Or would you rather have somebody who's more comfortable in that more competitive or accommodative uh, role. Right. So again, it, it it behooves the leader to be able to recognize. All right, you know my my default is to avoid conflict and not address it. But these are you know I'm in my job and my mm-hmm. job is to advocate for my people and therefore I must mm-hmm. flex into competitive, accommodative, compromising, etc. Yeah. So. That type of counseling of people in leadership positions is, is sometimes helpful. 
think that it's very common for people earlier in their career to have a bit of a crisis. Did mm-hmm. I make the right choice? Right. Um, and and especially people if they're if they are well clinically trained and then embarking on a research career and thinking about competing for NIH dollars, or researchers who are kind of losing funding and thinking about what other alternatives they have. So that's one set of circumstances. And that's still, I think, really understanding what gives you purpose and meaning in your work is a very important part of helping you then make decisions about what direction to follow. I don't think people can lose that sense of purpose and meaning mm-hmm. um, for okay. any period of time. For temporary times, we can always deal with, with things. But if you lose your sense of purpose and meaning in your work, that's a fundamental mm. loss mm. and won't be a long-term plan. Um, I think the other thing, going back to your, you know, many institutions, it's a cookie jar. There's so mm-hmm. many right. delicious opportunities. And mm-hmm. and so this is where having a sense of what your your mission is, what your what gives you purpose and meaning. And then really holding yourself accountable to the fact that yes, somebody else may have something that looks good on the surface. And but if it's not consistent with what your your kind of current focuses your pathway the the things that you think are are um, important to your career then at least you want to have a conversation with that person or a mentor about how does this fit is this a good idea and that comes to kind of how do you say no and mm-hmm. with almost every opportunity you're offered you want to get some distance from the op- the ask mm. you want to get away from the person asking, do you want to do this? So you mean physical distance. Physical distance. You oh. want to get away. You want time distance and physical distance so that you can really spend some time on your own thinking about, is this a good opportunity? Is this something I want to do? You might consult with your peers. You might consult with mentors. What do you think? Is this? Mm-hmm. How does this fit? And if... And, and, if the answer is no, it's a lot easier to say that not in person mm-hmm. um, and follow up mm-hmm. by email and um, and to explain then under that circumstance. Mm-hmm. You want to compliment the person for asking you and thinking about you um, and then explain to them that you are not able to meet this, mm-hmm. their timeline or that you with with competing um, obligations you already have, you won't be able to meet the expectancy of the opportunity. And then one of the things I say to people is, I'll only disappoint you. I won't be able to make it on time. I won't be able to put the time into it. I I don't want to disappoint you. Um, Mm -hmm. You can turn it into a win-win. You can help them find an alternative person to help with the ask. Mm -hmm. Um, This can happen if there's a colleague you have that might be interested or somebody who's junior to you who might be interested in the opportunity. You might shift it so that you take second uh, second fiddle Mm -hmm. on the opportunity and help that younger person. And so it's your opportunity to be a mentor. Yeah. Um, so there are a variety of things like that that you yeah. can do <clears throat> so, saying no. So how, walk us through this. If I'm a junior faculty member and I'm in my office and I get a drive-by right. ask. Yeah. And so say? Jennifer Haythorn is walking down the hallway. She's my mentor. She's a senior professor. Yeah. NIH funded her whole life. Oh, my gosh, Kim, I'm so glad I saw you. I was thinking you'd be perfect to do thus and such. What does a person do? Wow, do that I sounds do? really exciting. Can I... Can I 
set up a meeting to talk to you about it tomorrow or the next day. Um, and, and I'd love to hear more about it. And I'd love to think about how, why you think it's such a good opportunity for me. And that'll give me some time to look at my calendar and see what, what might be possible. Love it. I love it. So we need to practice that. Yes, absolutely. And and those of us who are people pleasers, and then when our (laughs) initial instinct is to say, oh, sure, happy to, happy to, and then kick ourselves the rest of the day. So what did I just do? We have to be really smart about knowing where our own weaknesses are and where our tendencies are to to recognize that I know I'm going to be the person who says yes and volunteers, and I have to pause, give myself a moment to reflect on that. Sometimes we have an emotional response to something that is actually not related to the event that led to that emotion. So, for example, if I have a you know a past history of having issues with my mother that she would always hang up on me whenever I would you know bring up a certain topic, and then you know when when the, the phone shuts down with with Kim, I get a re- emotional mm-hmm. reaction to it. Well, my past experience and what I've Projecting. had happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and sometimes it's valid, sometimes it's not valid. And um, I think one of the lessons of, of the Difficult Conversations book is, is using that I language, you know, which is, you know, Kim, when I, that phone went dead, I felt like you were mm-hmm. not being respectful of me and shutting me off and in midstream and, and not being cooperative. And using those I words is a lot better than saying, Kim, you were uncooperative, right. you were mean to me, or rather than this is what my experience was, even in the emotional. We, we, we talked about it with the facts, but it's right. also on the emotional. Yeah, yeah, that, that whole... You, as soon as we start thinking you, or especially you always, or you never, you're, of yeah. course, putting someone on defense. Absolutely. Right. So, and, and this gets back to some one of the, the talents or skills that we all must, must learn, and that is that reflective listening and, and making sure we understand what the person's experience was and, and repeating it back and getting affirmation that we are receiving the the correct information even as it relates to emotions that the person's feeling. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory Podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.